G'day all you beautiful people, welcome back to another episode of the Dawson D Show. Like all our episodes, we're always very excited to bring them to you, but today marks a really special one for, for myself personally, um, not only for both of us, but for me, this next guest that we're interviewing today, I've known him for a very, very long time, got a very close family, friend connection, and I'm super proud to to actually have him on the show with us today and, and be able to interview him was, was a privilege and an honour and um, he's someone that I've looked up to for, for many, many years. Uh, well, firstly, they're our first, very first international guest on the Dawson D Show. So if you notice any difference in the sound quality, that's why. He's coming all the way from the UK, which is really, really exciting. But today, our guest is Socceroos defender Bailey Wright. A quick rundown on Bailey. I'm sure you'll work out by the accent. He's been over there for a fair chunk of time. So he moved over there when he was 16 years old. He's been over there for 12 years. He started his career at Preston North End. He made 179 appearances for them over seven years. He then moved across to Bristol City. He made 72 appearances for them over three years. And he captained the club for a couple of seasons there as well. And only recently, last season, he was loaned out to Sunderland FC. And they've just recently signed him as a permanent player. Now, across to his international career, Bailey's made 24 appearances for the mighty Socceroos. He actually scored on his debut in a friendly against Saudi Arabia back in 2014. And he was also a part of the 23-man squad that went across to Brazil for the 2014 World Cup. Pretty special and a moment that I was super proud of. A brief rundown on how we know each other. So, Bailey's known me since I was a little tacker. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, he's been someone who I've looked up to for a long time since I was a kid. We went to primary school together. He was a couple years older than myself. He was in my older sister Taylor's year level. But our mums are really close friends through the primary school we all went to, Baxter Primary School. Uh, the Baxter Babes, they call themselves. They were the mums of all of us, and they're still very good friends. So we obviously spent a lot of time together growing up as kids. And with him being a couple years older, he was always someone that I, I did look up to. And he was a bit of a mentor, and, and he was a role model for, for us younger kids. Um, you saw him and what he was achieving, and... Look at him now. Both Dan and myself got so much out of this, and I know you guys will as well, but some of the key talking points include leaving the country at 16 years old on his own for trials in the UK. You know, what that felt like. What was that experience like? First contract, what he did to get it. You know, he, he was sharing with us, you know, what it really took. You know, he, he had to be in their face, showing the managers, and oh, they call him the gaffer over there, showing the gaffer, I'm here what it felt like getting that pro contract. We dive into social media, dealing with the scrutiny. Um, he actually was really open and shared a match-fixing uh, scandal that he went through um, a few years back. That was a really, really good story. One that he actually said to us, he's, he's not really sure if he was meant to, to share it, so that was pretty cool. Getting called up to rep- represent the Socceroos and going to a World Cup, you know, f- making that final 23-man squad, uh, what that felt like, what it meant to him. Not only did he share the highs of making that, 2014 World Cup team. He was part of the Socceroos getting to the 2018 World Cup in Russia. He was part of the qualifying stages, played and started in so many of those qualifying games. And when it came to the squad announcement, Bailey was so vulnerable um, and shared with us the scrutiny and the heartbreak and heartache of what it felt like not getting picked in that World Cup squad, um, which was really, really gut-wrenching to hear, but at the same time so powerful to hear his learnings out of that. So without further ado, I hope you guys love this as much as we did. Apologies again for the very long introduction, but uh, we're very grateful for his time. And, you know, we needed to give him what he deserves. So enjoy this and looking forward to hearing your feedback. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. D, how are you feeling this morning, mate? Mate, very excited, but we're back on Zoom. Back on Zoom. What? COVID-related? You know, what's the go there? Not COVID-related, mate. We're actually in the same room today, which is exciting. Yeah, which is really, really nice. Why are we back on Zoom, though? What's, mate, what's the go? What, what's happening today? We have our first international guest on the Doss and D show, but I'm going to let you introduce him because he is a friend of yours. So go for it, Doss. Yeah, so, well, this guest, we've been back and forth for a while and known this lad for a long time now and... 
He's a good family friend of ours and someone I've looked up to for a long time. He's a professional athlete, plays or has played football, professional football overseas for what, well over you know 10 years now. And knowing his family and the way he's grown up, it's pretty special to watch. And we're pretty lucky and grateful to have him on the show today. So Bailey Wright, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, guys. I've uh, been hanging out to get on. So thanks for yeah, making it happen. Mate, we're so excited to have you here. So we have a, a professional athlete, a professional footballer. So Bailey, where are you currently at at the moment in terms of football? Where are you living? Where are you playing? Yeah, um, so the call's a little bit glitchy. I don't know if it's my Wi-Fi or what. So sorry if I'm a bit delayed. No, you're um, But yeah, I am currently living currently living in Durham, So, which is a nice little town just outside Sunderland where I'm currently playing football at the moment. So yeah, I signed for Sunderland in August permanently. I was previously, yeah, I'd, I'd spend a brief loan spell at Sunderland, had a bit of a taste of the club, which made me want to come back and, and experience it again. So fortunate enough, personal contact, and I've been up here in the north northeast. It's been um, it's been good. It's a, a massive club, and yeah, one I've I've been excited by. You know, the potential and the, the club speaks for itself, really, um, and the expectations of of where the club want to be. And um, yeah, it suited me perfectly. Well, before you even signed for Sunderland, I actually remember talking to your dad like a while back. I watched Sunderland Until I Die, that documentary. Yeah, it um, created a few fans around the world, I think. I even watched it. I'm, I was a fan before I even got opportunity to go on loan there. Yeah. Um, I was of it. So I think, what do you think of it? I loved it. I, um, you, you, I saw you. You actually got a little cameo. I think they played against Bristol, one of the games, and you were on there. And I thought, oh, he's, he's made the cut. And now you're actually playing for Sunderland, which is, funnily enough, yeah, it's it's crazy how football works out sometimes. It's like I think back to um, just just little things that happened. Like when I was a youth team player uh, for Preston North, then I played in the stadium a lot and was on the winning team. And it was just like this stadium's unbelievable. This club's massive, you know. And eventually you're in the home dressing room, and it's just like a whole new experience. It's like I played against England in that stadium when Marcus Rashford made his debut, and you're like, this is a bit weird. Like it's just got those little connections. You think this was meant to happen? Yeah, definitely. So, Bailey, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Let's go right back to the start. Let's start with your childhood, family life, and, and football in general. Where did the passion come from? And, like, for Doss and I and a lot of guys and girls around the world, like, we all dream of being professional athletes, and we kind of assume that it will just happen. But at what age do you actually know that this is going to be a reality for you? Yeah, it's hindsight's a beautiful thing. When you look at it now, it, you know, what everything was like when I was younger. First and foremost, I just loved sport in general. Anything I did, I was competitive. I wanted to win. I hated losing, but losing was part of you know it's part of the journey. And you know you had to put yourself in positions to lose to grow. And the reason I you know I hated it so much, I made sure I'd try to get to a point where I'd win, no matter what it was. And you know, growing up in Lang Warren, I guess it just language tradition, you're a bit of a resilient person and, you know, resilience has helped me a lot throughout my career. And part of that comes from, you know, a support network around you, you know, your family, your friends, people that I guess are in your bubble. You know, I look back at it now, the the sacrifices other people made for me to be able to be where I am today was a massive part of it. Um, That's for sure. You know, I had a a great upbringing and I'm very fortunate for that. I was never really pushed to do anything but always supported and sort of given the option to make my own mind up. If I wanted to do something, do it. And nine times out of 10, when I did, did something, I did it with full commitment. And I guess when I was trying to think what age it really sort of started to hit me that I could be professional. I guess I had a bit of a tunnel vision. It was just like play football, see what happens, play football. School took a little bit of a backseat, which, you know, looking back now, I probably wish I had focused on a bit more. But you're never too you're never too old to keep learning and, and developing. So that's the beauty of that too. You can do it when you're older. But yeah, football sort of took priority in my life. And it came to a point where it was like, am I going to get a career out of football? Which was when I was 15, 16. And pathways in Australia were starting starting to sort of fizzle away and, and be very limited in terms of, you know, the A-League was about 10 teams strong. Um, there wasn't a second division, like like a youth league, sorry. Um, I think that had just started and to be honest I was at that age where I could go up, I could start working with my dad here earn a bit of pocket money you know it's like you start earning a bit of money it's like whoa I'm yeah. not going to get that playing playing soccer I wasn't didn't have those opportunities yeah yeah so you, you start to think well is it football or am I going to go down a different career path and fortunate enough for me mum and dad fired off an email to 
various people in the UK with our connections and people we'd met, got trials. And to cut a long story short, you know, those trials at Preston North End went really well. And a gentleman, Jamie Hoyland, gave me an opportunity to, to go and live my dream. And, like, and, I, and I often refer to this quite a lot. I had a going away party, you know, with a family one and friends one. And I just remember thinking at the party, everyone was like, when are you going to come back to Australia? And everyone was like, how long are you going for? Like, like it was a holiday. And I was like, I'm, I'm not coming back. Yeah. You know, it was just like, I don't know why everyone's thinking I'm coming back. This is, I'm saying, see you later. Um, this is what I want to do. And, mm. and looking back on it, I was like, I was pretty, I had my mind pretty much made up and I didn't really know it at the time. I was just focused and driven to achieve what I want to achieve. And I had people support me and give me every opportunity to go and do it. So, you know, 12 years later, here I am still in the sunny UK. Love it. I, um, it's funny you mentioned that, the going away party, because mum just ducked off for work. So for, like, for everyone listening right now, it's, it's nice and early. It's 8 o'clock here in Melbourne and um, 9 o'clock PM time over there where you are, mate. But when mum left, she said, now make sure you say good day to him for me. And for those listening, mum and Bailey's mum, uh, really, really good friends. And, and we grew up, went to primary school together and whatnot. But she mentioned that night and she's like, can you believe he was 16 years old and we saw him go off in that taxi on his own with his suitcase in the back? And I would have only been 13 and I probably didn't understand the enormity of that. And I was probably one of those people going, oh, well, he'll be back. He'll be coming back. Now, like, what, 10 plus years later, you're still over there. You've now met your, your wife. You know, she's, you know, heavily pregnant now. You've created a, a, a whole life, even the accent. You know, I'm sure people comment on the accent now. You know, you are Australian at heart, but... You know, it's it's just amazing what you've created. No, it's it's funny, you know, you know, 16 years old. I didn't feel 16. Like I said, I was just tunnel vision. I was just had a focus to do what I wanted to do and had great people around me, my friends and friends and family. You know, the sacrifices brothers and sisters made for me to be able to play my football, whether that be, you know, lifts lift to training or supporting me and backing me through the tough times. And pushing me when when I needed pushing, do you know what I mean? It's like without that, I wouldn't have been able to come over here and, and build a life for myself. You know, like you said, there I've, I've met my wife. It's made it in, you know incredibly easier having her here. She's been a real support for me, and obviously we're adding to our family, which is special. So it's like committed to what I wanted to do. I was focused, but I know some people aren't fortunate enough; they don't necessarily have support bubble around them, and people do. And fortunately enough, I did. So um, like, even like you say, wait a the way we grew up and, you know, everything we, we did together as families, great family you, you've got and support network as well. And, you know, it's good, it's good to have a good bubble around you of good people. And that, you know, that, that is not just immediate family, but to all people, you know, make impacts on you in, in your journey. Mm. Bailey, what's it like at 16 years old? Can you describe your journey when you actually get into a taxi, you get on a plane, you arrive in the UK and you head over to Preston. And just those first few days of settling in, what's it like? Where are you living? What's it like going to training? Is it intimidating? Just all that kind of stuff is really fascinating to me. Yeah. So jumping in that taxi, I was bawling my eyes out, I think. I was like, <laughs> oh, God, it's just so emotional, isn't it? Like, that's, what, that's, that's normal, it's human. And yeah. it's good and it's good to get it out. And it, but that doesn't mean, you know, I, I regret what I'm doing. You know, from the moment I've gotten flight and got to England I remember I had no idea who my teammates were on my trial it was like a different group of people so it was like I trained with the youth team but it was around Christmas time so the lads I trained with were what they called second year scholars so they were in their last year of their apprenticeship so some of them got pro contracts some didn't so the ones that were pros I didn't really see much when I first got there it was like a new generation of you know I was a first year apprentice yeah, and I remember it's quite funny actually. This I walk, I walk in the door of our digs, and it's like this big, three, four-story townhouse. The nine of us lived in this house. We had uh, what I call my English parents, Mick and Joan, who like unbelievable people. Um, they cooked for us. They basically just unbelievable people that yeah. I still keep in touch with now. And I remember walking in the door like, oh, "Good day, I'm Mick and I'm Joan." You know, like, that's <laughs> Northern Ant, and I was like. I can understand you guys. And then I walk in the door and some lad walks down the stairs and it was, um, well, I say some lad. It was actually, who was it? Jamie Douglas. So Jamie Douglas walks down the stairs and he's from Northern Ireland, right? (laughs) (laughs) He said something to me. And I just went, yeah. (laughs) He was like, you asked me a question and I was just like, what are you saying? 
yeah. see what languages he's speaking. Yeah. But then the next seven people, the next seven people I met were all Northern Irish. Oh <laughs> no! Of course. And I'm thinking, oh, these guys are off their head. They've all got different accents. They're all mental. Um, yeah. <laughs> little did I know, within a few days, they're like your best mates. Um, yeah. And it was like moved into this room. They're like, oh, we'll show you to your room. You're actually sharing with another Aussie, Cameron Parrish. And I'd played against Cam before. He played for New South Wales um, state teams. We never met each other. So get taken up these stairs and like, you're in this room. So you open the door and you're like, oh. So I had to open the door, step in, like between a wall, close the door. Bonnie. Like, and there's me bunk beds. And yeah. I was like, Cam was like, I've got the bottom bunk. And I was like, oh, damn, I'm going to have to go on the top. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've got the top bunk bed. We've got a tiny little wardrobe in this room that was tiny, right? So I was like, oh, this could be tough. Yeah. A couple of days, and I loved it. It was yeah. just yeah. going to training every day, playing football, like mm. getting fed, go yeah. home, getting fed. Um, <laughs> your room would get like, you had chores and stuff you had to do. You know, you had, we, were, we were disciplined. You had to make your bed, wash the dishes, all the, you know, the simple things. But nonetheless, our... You know, all yeah. our washing was, was our washing done? I think it was done for us as well. Yeah, that, um, yeah so I was like, whoa, what is this? I'm living the dream. <laughs> yeah. So my mum never did my washing. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was just like, I'm actually, this is what I do for a living. Yeah. Like, you know, I was getting paid 50 pound a week and I was loving it. Yeah. And I didn't have any bills. I think mum and dad sent me a few quid over here and there to, to, you know, to help me through because... You might do, you know, payday comes and you go, oh, I've got to spend it. So you go and spend it and then you're like, <laughs> yeah. the rest of the month. Yeah. You're like, well, oh, I can't even get a bus to training today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was like things like that. So you, you, all them little experiences, like I guess, you know, you look back on it now, like, and it sort of makes you so appreciative of, of what you got. But those times are some of the best times you've had, you know, like a great group of lads. We we won a lot of, a lot of good. You know, we won the leagues in the youth leagues, reserve leagues. You know, a lot of the boys have gone on to have you know careers in football, some you know in, in other careers, respectively, so as well. So it was a real learning curve. But I remember, like I said, there when I walked into the house, met all the lads, hardly understood a word of them, what they said, and then you had your first training session. Mm. And lads will probably remember this. I used to have these big Puma Kings with big long studs. Love the right? Puma. Puma Kings, man, they have the daddy, right? And lads looking at me thinking, who's this mad nut? Who is this mad nut? <laughs> <laughs> right? I went, I went around, right? And I was just, just smashing lads because I was like, I'm going to like earn my stripes and cool. ask myself. A bit. And it's kind of my nature to be like that. And then like all your anxieties, all your like bit of worry of, you know, getting to meet everyone, just go. So once you've had your first training session, like everything, exercise does something. It just gets rid of it all and you're just like, Oh, I can relax and actually try to learn what they're actually saying to me now. Mm, definitely. I um, would love to know, you know, like the expectation of pressure, right? So to go over there and even getting in that small room, it's really fascinating hearing you say that, how much you love that experience because we are, like as humans, we are goal. We're always looking in the future. We're worrying about what we either don't have and what we can have. Like in you in that circumstance, like, and I'm sure there's plenty of young fellas that get like this too. It's, it's all about, oh, I need to get the contract, I need to get the contract. And you look back and, yeah, you, you got your contract and you're saying to, to us now, like, how good that time was. A lot of people probably in that experience don't get to enjoy that time because they're so worried about trying to get to that goal. But my question is, did you ever, in, within that trial period, was there a moment where you might have felt like the pressure and the expectation that you might have took on from you know, your family have sent you over. You're in this house now with the with your hosts and you're thinking to yourself, shit, if I don't get this, like, did, did you feel like you were letting, you could potentially let someone down? Did you ever have that feeling in your head? Yeah, in maybe different ways. But 100%, 100% sometimes you have self-doubt. You have fear of disappointing others, which often never happens really, although you think it might. But I guess for me, I look back on it and I kind of had... Like I said, I had a tunnel vision and focus of what I wanted to do, which helped me not worry about mm. if it didn't work out, if it did work out. Just focus on what you're doing, what you can do every day and see what comes of it. And, you know, there was challenges like, you know, when I first moved over, I, my first game for Preston North End, right, was for Preston North End supporters team. 
I played for the supporters team because like I couldn't get clearance that like, Australia wouldn't give me clearance to play my football in England. So I was like, there was a stage where I was like, I might have to go back to Australia. So it was like, I couldn't play for the youth team. I, could, I was training every day, but I wasn't allowed to play in the games. And I remember just thinking, like just getting disappointed, like they'd be here, like letters going to and forth. No clearance, not been accepted. Clearance hasn't been accepted. And it got a bit, tricky I didn't have any pathways for me in Australia so I was like I don't know why I'm getting held back no one I didn't have a nothing was offered to me to play in Australia I was like I've got an offer here and someone's trying to stop me mm. and you know I was a bit like I, I get it for for reasons you know when lads are young and you want to protect because you know sometimes there is bad moves that happen in football but it wasn't like I'd, I'd turn it down over anything else and that period was a bit tough for me because I thought I might have to go back to Australia and my dream's gone because of someone sat behind an office desk. And I remember just thinking, well, whatever you do, be ready because if it goes through, I want to play. Like, I want to make sure I'm ready. And there was various challenges along that way where I thought I could just pack my bags and just get off and go home. But I loved what I was doing. So, like, for example, you know, I was walking down the street probably about a month into moving over. I must have been about two minutes' walk from our digs, which was our accommodation. And there was about five or six of us and I was dawdling behind the back. And I, I think I'd, it was quite late, at, late in the evening. I was on my phone anyway. Lads are ahead of me, quite a bit ahead. I'm just catching up. And I lift my head up and some, some blokes come behind a bus stop with a balaclava on. Oh. And he's like, just, it was like, it was a bit of a blur now. Can't remember what he was saying. He's like, I won't swear, obviously, but he said a few things. And I was like, what? Who's, I was just like, what is going on? Like, you just sort of, not afraid to be like, whoa, what's happening? And next minute, someone's like pulled me from behind from my hood and I'm getting like kicked and smashed a bottle over my head. And um, yeah, not many people know this story. So, so wow. gash, gash on the ground. Some geezers like, the guy's pulled me by my hood. I've got him down the ground with me. Sort of thing, what's going on here? And next minute, a couple of lads have seen it in front, sprinted back, you know, got involved. These guys have got up and just legged it. The guy with the balaclava and the other guy didn't, but I didn't really see his face. And, you know, I just had blood just pouring out everywhere because I'd just been gassed here in my, my head and I legged it. We all legged it and I just panicked. I was like, you know, 16 years old thinking, what's just happened here? And I remember getting back to the digs and Mick and Joan were like, oh. <laughs> like you have to go to hospital. Like, we're going to have to call the police, call the police. At the guys, we'll get stitches. And next one was, like, I'm going to tell mum and dad what's happened here. Yeah. So I was like, how do you tell your parents without having to make them worry? Yeah. And I remember my- that over the phone, like, oh, oh no, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, you know, I just had a little life lesson that I didn't really want to happen, but it happened. Mm. Um, and yeah, so you know, when little moments like that happen, you're a bit like, I'm so far away from home. But like I said to you before, I had good people there in that house that sort of, you know, you, you get up, you get home with it, and it's done and dusted. But that experience was a bit mad because I was like, hadn't been there very long, I have no idea still to this day who those blokes were or or whatever but someone's trying to stop you in your path you got to make sure that you know you prove everyone wrong prove yourself right and that was one of their moments that i thought well going through that i'm, I'm going to go through some tough challenges so just be ready for them all was that uh might have been a burnley supporter yeah mate probably was a burnley supporter <laughs> so I, I wonder if it was a, a lad that i took his you know his scholarship you never know like a foreign yeah, Aussie, yeah. Aussie, Aussie, my spot like he, do you know actually he wasn't a young lad he was a full-grown man he was built as and um must have been to get me down on the ground <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right that's <laughs> uh, uh yeah who knows what's it like when what age were you when you got your first full-time contract and what was that day like when you actually got offered to be a first team player at Preston North End? Yeah, it was, it was pretty special. I was in and around the first team in my second year of a, as a scholarship and I was sort of a bit of a pain. I used to always knock on the manager's door every week and be like, what do, what, what, what do I need to improve? What, like, am I doing all right? Like, almost reassurance, but almost like letting him know like, I'm here, I'm here mate, like, okay, knocking. It was Darren Ferguson. And I remember like knocking on this door thinking, surely one day he's going to go, right, just go away. Here's your pro contract. Like, that enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That enough for me. Um, but I got my debut before I got offered my professional contract. And that's why I didn't care about the contract. It was just getting my debut, make sure I was ready for my chance and knocking on the door and letting people know I was, 
ready to do what was asked of me or what like what I needed to, to develop. And yeah, he he knocked yeah knocked on the door one day and got offered you know well he actually pulled me to his office and was like I'm offering you a professional contract you, you know you deserve it. Um, and it was sort of just before Christmas I think it was just before Christmas or January. And he was like we're going to send you out on loan because basically it was Stockport. I just played against them, made my debut, did well. And he's like, their manager is quite keen to take you on loan. So we're going to get your pro contract, send you on loan, you get experience. So I was like, yes, get in. First, I'm going to play first team. And then as the pro contract sort of doesn't happen overnight, you've got to get the paperwork, blah, blah, blah. And he actually got sacked, Darren Ferguson. Mm. Um, and I was a bit like, well, what's going on here? You know, I hadn't had any experience this many times. And then next minute, you know, my pro contract still happened. The club wanted it and the, the club wanted to give me that as well, which was brilliant. You know, great people at that club. And then the Stockport County manager got sacked where I was going to go alone. So I was like, ah, right. Well, that's not going to happen. Is that going to happen? Didn't happen. Anyway, new manager coming at Preston and sort of, I was in and out of his plans a little bit, played a couple of games, um, which was also, you know, also brilliant from there. It was all about just playing and announcing yourself, not necessarily focusing on the contract or, you know, earning the money. Obviously, the money, you know, we always, you know, there's no doubts about it. You can earn a good living playing football for sure. But that wasn't the motivator. The motivator was to, to make a profession out of it, mm. you know, and you can, I was doing that on 50 quid a week in the youth team. That felt professional to me. So it was just about getting to the first team and then, becoming a regular, becoming better than, you know, who I was competing against. But when you make your debut and you get that contract, it's a pretty special feeling. Like it's, you've all, all of a sudden gone from, you know, you're still the boot boy, you're still washing boots for the first team lads. But the ones you've been, you know, washing their boots and like proper making sure they're all happy, you're then stood by their side. And it was Billy Jones, I was his boot boy, made my debut alongside him. And he's an absolute legend. Made my debut so easy because I knew him, I washed his boots, he'd give me the time of day. He, just a good bloke and that sort of whole apprenticeship to your first team thing like that probably meant more to me than, than anything else just better to play alongside the guys that you know sort of I wanted to be I wanted to be there so that's yeah, crazy what well, was it yeah I love that you're saying that it, being over now in England the tradition and probably different the the culture different to Australia Australian people can you give us any like stories or you mentioned cleaning the boots, like what, what is initiation like, you know, at yeah, Preston or at uh, Bristol or Sunderland as well? Like, you know, what, what's it like? Do the lads take you somewhere or is it, you know, I know you would have stood up, I was saying to Daniel before, like, is it, I'm not sure if it's over there, but in Australia, standing up and singing a song, like what, what is it? Yeah, no, it is. It's the tradition at all three clubs that I've been at is get up and, and sing a song, you know, normally on the first away trip. I've even had a new manager come in and get everyone to do it at the same day, like at the training ground, which was creative. We had some lads do some makeup, write some songs, play the guitar. We had lads put on like pantomimes and acts and all sorts. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, you, you go out and you, you're comfortably confident to perform in front of people, but you get asked to stand in a chair and sing, you know, and I'll sing all day long, but put me up in front of the room, all eyes on you. And I'm yeah. like, oh, your voice starts getting squeaky. Yeah. And I was like, I sing, I think I sung, um, why don't you build me up, build me up. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I don't even know the name of the song, but that was my initiation song at Preston. Yeah. Um, Bristol City. I think I sung Michael Buble. Yeah, <laughs> you look a bit like Yeah. Oh, cheers, mate. I wish I had his voice. Let me tell yeah. you. Oh, magic. And yeah, someone it was Peter Andre. So it's, it's like quite standard. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, do you know Peter Andre? They think like Australia is such a small place. You know, everyone is Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Me and Peter, boys. <laughs> but it's just, it's, yeah. So the initiations, it's part of me, it's funny now because. I'm not sure I like the initiations now. I, I, I feel more uncomfortable watching people in the initiations than I do actually doing it because some people get up, they smash it and some people really don't like it. And, you, and it's, it's one of them, I, I, get, I get the point of it because it's to announce yourself and uh, this is your team and you got to know you've got each other's back. So mm. make yourself vulnerable. And I think that's, I guess, putting yourself out there and being vulnerable is the way it's looked at for sure. And, and, I, and I'm big, big encourager for that. But some people really do struggle getting up singing and sometimes it's, you'd rather do it in a different way, but 
I think that traditions might slowly change. I know, you know, everyone's got their own ways of doing it. Yeah. I, th- I think it definitely could be worse uh, yeah. singing a song, but, but I love it. Um, so can you talk us through that debut, that day? So you're saying Stockport County, is that home or away? And what's the day like? If it's a, I, I don't know if it was a 3 p.m. game or what, but talk us through the breakfast and the nerves and everything leading up to getting into the ground, to going into the rooms, to warming up. Like I'm just fascinated by that whole experience. Yeah, it's, um, I think it was a three o'clock kickoff and it was in, I think it was called the Carlin Cup then, or which oh, is the, the uh, Capital One Cup or it changes its name all the time, depends who sponsors it. And that was my, yeah, my debut there. So to be honest, the day's a bit of a blur because you're so tunnel vision and focused and just determined to do well. Mm. You don't really have time to mm. take it all in sometimes. Um, we won five nil, so that was great. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> yeah. So clean sheet, win, happy days, played against a big man up top. And, you know, I like playing against players like that. I've always enjoyed a challenge. And it was sort of, I remember the buzz in the dressing room after. And I've, I've felt the buzz many times before in youth team and, you know, in various teams, you know, we've all felt what winning feels like. But this was men's football. It was like proper, you know, English cup tradition. Just, you know, we just won a game, got ourselves in the next round. And it was like, this actually, this, you know, something, it was on the line proper in that game. And you sort of felt a little bit of sense of difference. It was like, this is professional. This is what people do for a living. They get the job done. Like, there's no messing about. Do your job, win. Don't let anyone else down. And that experience, I just loved it. I had good feedback from it. I learned a lot about myself, about teammates, my manager, you know, some great people. And yeah, it was... Um, yeah, a good experience. I remember just, you know, you see, like, you get yourself in the paper and you're like, well, I'm in the paper, like, I made my debut. Yeah. Like, you know, some people have said some good things and you start to think, oh, that's nice. But on the flip side of that, there comes a day when there's a lot of negativity that gets thrown your way as well. And we've mm-hmm. been on that a lot of, that receiving end a lot of the time. So you start to learn as a young person, well, you, you still, when you're senior, you still can get caught up in reading it, but you learn things can change quickly. People's opinions can change quickly. It's, you know, you could have one good game, the next one could be bad. And all I wanted after that was my next opportunity because I just wanted to play again and yeah. win another game and play for the first team. It's interesting here you say that because over here, and this was a bit of a scandal in the AFL, and uh, I know you're a Tigers man, so your Tigers are doing all right. But, um, oh, am I? Yeah. I'm a Tigers. <laughs> I know. And, um, but... Yeah, there was a bit, not a scandal, but it, it came out like play, AFL players were receiving death threats on Instagram quite often. And it was around, it was, a lot of it was around sports gambling. You know, you cost me my multi or this and that and the other. And they were, they were just copying it left, right and centre. I, I would actually like to, de- to just, well, maybe not share, but he's been over. He's a mad QPR fan, by the way. But lucky. <laughs> I, that's my dad's fault and I'm sh- he's so excited about this interview but yeah I'll, I'll blame my dad for that but um and so so D is actually seen like he, he's he went over to England on his own when he was 18 just to follow QPR for a few weeks and he experienced the supporters firsthand you know and you know getting on the train not wearing your scarf hiding it um because it's real like you know he, he even got punched like he got punched <laughs> And I was and I was at a Tottenham game. I'm not a Tottenham supporter, but I just went to watch Tottenham versus Newcastle in the in the League Cup. And um, I just thought I'll buy a home scarf and walk with the home team. And of course, some bloke leans across the cup and just goes rack and hits me. And yeah, it was mental. It does not happen. Things to tick off the bucket list: be a fan and get punched in the head. That's right. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Exactly right. But how, more the question, yeah, like, have you received any of that? And if you have, like, how do you handle that? Especially probably, you know, with your wife and now family, like, what's that yeah, like? Good question. Yeah, I often, I guess I could share a bit of a story in that regard when I got sucked into a whole match-fixing scandal back in 2014. Was it 14? Yeah. Something I had no involvement in at all, right? But got sucked into it, got arrested, taken to police station, a number of footballers got sucked into this whole investigation. Well, I don't even know how much I can say it nowadays, but I will anyway. Basically, got investigated for fixing fixing games, really, saying I was getting bribes for getting bookings, um, various teammates were. And I was just like, I remember getting, thinking, what is going on here? Like, you know, as you do, you're in a, in a prison cell, 
like had to take all your laces out of your shoes. And to cut a long story short there, it was a mad experience the whole day. I just remember thinking, what has just happened? And then it all come out in the papers. Uh, it was a full day of questioning, got let out of the police station. The police, the police drove me home because they'd picked me up from the training ground. And then I remember thinking, getting home, and it's like, what has just happened? Like, is my whole football career about to go through something I have no idea about? Mm. So next minute, two days later, wake up in the morning, newspaper's out, like, I think it was the front page of The Sun. And it was just like, biggest match-fixing scandal in football history. Cool. And it was like, those were slapped on as my head, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are decent photo. They always choose a crap photo. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> so I remember thinking, boom, phone blew up. People going, what's going on? What's going on? Next minute, fans are jumping on it. People are abusing you, saying you're a joke. You're, you're, a, you're this, like you're not deserving of, a, of your contract. You should never have played for this club. Not necessarily pressing North End fans. It was coming from everywhere. Mm. You know, I didn't even have a chance to even put anything out to say anything about it. We weren't allowed to. Didn't think it was going to get in the papers. It was still under investigation. So that was mental. And I remember like people messaging saying, like, I've paid to watch games of football and you've just gone and taken bribes. Where's your integrity? And you're just like, whoa, like people are ruthless. And it, it was a difficult time because I was like, I didn't really know where I was going to go. And, you know, the abuse just flowed and flowed and flowed to the point where I was asked like, oh, to stop looking at it. This is just mental now. And to cut a long story short on that, the whole thing, got sorted basically it was just a stupid investigation that had gone on and loads of wrongdoings behind the scenes that had happened and stitching people it was just crazy and it all just got brushed aside and sort of forgotten about in the end but no one will ever know that because that was never put out there to tell people that this you know this was a load of crap this whole thing that got released but it stays with you forever you know and i remember i got my call up my first ever call up to australia about for the Socceroos, for the World Cup in Brazil. And this was still hanging over my head. So mm. did I do it? Did I not? And Preston North End were brilliant because they just asked us straight up, like, what's going on? And I, like, all of us as players, like, we have no, nothing, there's no idea what's going on here. And the club backed us completely. PFA backed us, which is a professional football association. So we had a lot of people believe in us and back us. There was a big group of players. So eventually all blew over, but it took like a year. And I thought, you know, I remember when Ange called me up for the Socceroos and it was hanging over my head and, you know, I'd got asked a question by various media people all the time and it, the answer was ongoing investigation. I can't comment on it. You know, and it was like, one of them, you just feel like, it's just crazy. I can't comment on this, something that's had such a big impact. People are still giving me abuse all over the world. But I guess it makes you stronger and, you know, you still get negative comments and things now. And that's where, you know, social media is a great platform for many reasons. It needs tweaking, it needs fixing to stop some of the crap that people can say and share because you know, mental health is a serious, serious thing and you know, we all experience our ups and downs and it's crazy how much of that comes from social media now. We didn't have that growing up and you know, some people refer to back in my day, we used to be stronger than what everyone is now. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like back, in, back in your day, no one could ever contact you. There wasn't even a mobile phone. Yeah. You know I mean? So now every single, any person who wants to, have an impact on your life and comment and get, get a message to you, they can. Yeah. Um, life wasn't like that. And, you know, so people didn't experience that. So people didn't have, have those struggles. Now we do. It's a part of everyday life. If you, you know, social media is a great way to build your brand, build your platform. Um, unfortunately, there's a small group of people out there that spoil it. And normally them, them people that are doing that, have their own issues and they just want to bring yep. people down because, yep. you know, they feel that that's how they make themselves feel better, but it doesn't it just makes them feel worse. So I think it needs, you know, there's a lot of people pushing for it to be improved because you know, they always say in the sticks and bones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, names are like negativity is horrible. For sure. Mm. Like, I know, especially with football in England, because like I said, I'm quite a supporter and, I love jumping on after a game, especially after a win. A QPR win, I like just having a bit of positivity and reading all the comments and everyone's great and the world's a perfect place and then they lose and then sack everyone, sack the manager, the world's ending, it's all horrible. And I just can't... Contagious. Sorry? It's contagious, isn't it? It's yeah. infectious, like the way people do it. 
but I just can't imagine if, if I was playing and I'm getting all this personal abuse from people I don't know from anywhere in the world because they, like I said, they might have lost a bet. Like, did a play, players don't give a shit if you lost a $20 bet or a $5 bet or whatever it may be. So when, when you're winning and things are going well, and obviously you play for a huge club, Summerlin, like for those that don't know, Summerlin's legitimately one of the biggest clubs in the country in a huge area. When you win, do you, do you find yourself reading through those comments and seeing the positivity? And when you lose, do you, do you avoid it? How have you learned to deal with it all? Now, so I obviously am on social media and I guess the only comments I might read is if they've directly been linked to me. I don't go searching for it. I used to when I was younger because I used to get the hit of, you know, the chemicals that your body releases that feels good when people say good things about you. Dopamine. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's why we do it. And then you read that one and it sticks with you. So the answer to that is now I don't read it because one thing in, in life that you can guarantee is if you can sort yourself out and rely on yourself to, you know, set standards of yourself that you believe and achieve and new things you believe in and you can honestly reflect and review your own performances your you know anything you do in life and you can honestly say that to yourself that's all that matters and if you can rely rely on yourself to get your mindset right and not allow others to dictate your highs and your lows then you're going to have a better approach to everything you're going to be more balanced more calculated with everything you do um, and social media can just up and make you up and make you down too much. You know, you want to have that steady, steady sort of mindset on everything. Of course, you need people around you, people within your circle, or what is um, Brene Brown saying? People within the arena. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the people with blood, sweat, and tears in the arena are the ones that count, that are living and breathing and live in the moment. That, know, it's a great quote, which I'm pretty but yeah, the man in the arena. You know, yeah, that's the one who's in the arena, you know, not you. You know, you can sit out there in the stands and spray him and give it all you want. But, like, he's the one there giving it a crack, whether he's winning or losing. I love – I can't remember the exact quote. It's a long quote, but I love it. Yeah. What I'm super excited about is you mentioned Ange and our next part is the Socceroos. And did you ever imagine in your wildest – like, wildest dreams that you'd be playing for Australia one day? Because – and I'll, I'll – tell a quick story but I, I remember 2006 like the world cup our first world cup in gosh that many years and you know dad my old man dicky he loved the socceroos and and we we went over to your house in baxter and it was me it was your old man at andy my dad would have been three four in the morning and we're playing japan that game against japan i think sean travascus was there as well tim like i think we we're down one nil timmy cahill came on and we scored two goals after half time and one and I just remember, like, all of us just, like, jumping around and, like, hugging. And, you know, you go from being in your land room and supporting, you know, or looking your at country. You, yeah, your ch- country and your childhood heroes for the, for the national team. And now you get a call from Andrew Postacogli, the coach of the Socceroos. You know, how, how does that feel, mate? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that night, that early morning really well because it was just, like, how proud you felt to be an Aussie to see, like, Australia the World Cup again and... Like your old man, it was infectious, his positivity and how much he backed it and, you know, come around and watching the football four in the morning. Yeah. Like, not many people do that, but we had a, you know, we got along so well and it makes moments like that even more special and a big realisation for your national team and getting that phone call, being able to recreate moments like that and having, being able to have that impact, that, that impact that we shared in that room and watching that game, you know, roles reverse. I've got opportunity to give that impact to other people and it's just like, well, like this is your nation. You're in jersey with a badge on it. Like this is a heavy jersey that comes with some expectations, some responsibilities. But God, does it come with some rewards? And one of them was qualifying for the World Cup. Australia did for that World when you know John Aloisi scored that penalty against Uruguay. I guess it wasn't as big a build-up because it hadn't been such a long time. But when yeah, when we beat Honduras and qualified for the World Cup, that feeling you sort of go like, I've just gone and just lived that moment and, and achieved it and it's it's special and it's special to see what it means to people around you like I remember after the game seeing family and just just being in a, a teary teary state just over an overwhelming flood of emotions of what you've just achieved and a sense of relief too it's crazy what's that feeling like after a win when you when you with just the boys you've just won it's just a group of 
the team that's that's won this game for your country and you qualify. Like what I, I don't even know how to ask. Like what is that feeling like? What's that emotion like? You just want to hug and kiss everyone. Yeah. It's just like, just like you know what I mean? It was like you walked in and you just like want this to last forever. And I remember uh, you just want to get the music pumping and just live in the moment and just be buzzing and then you want to see your friends and family and you just can't wait to see them and you want to get on the beers and have a good session with everyone. Yeah. But the reality of that was like, yeah, we had a couple beers, but we had flights back the next morning at like, I don't know, five, six AM to go back and play for our clubs. Yeah. So it was like, you know, <laughs> short lived, but it was like, we had a little party up in one of the lounges and I think Drake had a concert on in Sydney. We're all like, well, oh, let's try getting Jake, Drake's after party or whatever. <laughs> and Drake, I don't think Drake was having any of it. Not that, any of us spoke to him, I don't think, but yeah. it was like a quiet midweek night in Sydney. It was, had a couple of beers. You just want to share it with your friends and family. Like, don't get me wrong, when you walk in that dressing room afterwards and everyone's so buzzing because it was a four-year journey. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. was it three years of qualifying to qualify for the World Cup? Like, it's the biggest, the highest amount of pressure I've ever felt in a game. You know, like, there was the, it was all or nothing. If that didn't, you didn't win that, those whole three years of just, down the drain, like, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong, learn a lot from it, but it was all to get to a World Cup. And that feeling of reliving that, and you know, kind of what it means to represent Australia is doing people proud and, and giving back to so many people that have made this possible for you and to share those amazing moments, but to actually been the, the one in the arena creating them yeah. um, is special. When, when you were like, this is what I really want to know, like, and we're, we're, we're both super vulnerable. And I said that to you before of a message, like it's kind of what we convey and we want to convey to everyone is through vulnerability, show strength. You know, when you get a call like that or where were you, can you remember where you were when you got a call? Like, at, firstly, were you confident you were going to make that final 23 in the 214 World Cup? And when he called, I'm not sure if it was Ange that called you, but when he called you, like, what was your reaction? Did you cry? Did you scream? Did you like what? Like, I just, I want to know the realness of it because I just can't like fathom what it would be like for you. Yeah, um, I was surprised to get in the squad. So it was like, I think it was like a 34 man squad that he first announced. You know, we trained for three or four weeks. Um, and he slowly dwindled that squad down to 23 man squad. And and to be completely honest, I was shocked to be in the 30 something man squad and thought I had no hope to make the 23. You kind of look at it when you're there, you're like, you know, there's the guaranteed 15 people, 20 people that are going to make the squad. And you start to think of others. And I was like, I was realistic. I always was. And I was like, yeah, he's ahead of me. He's ahead of me. He's ahead of me. Yeah, I might not make this, but I'll give it a red hot crack. And, you know, if I don't make this, make sure we make a good first impression because it might be the next one after this. I guess when I got the phone call, to get called into the 30-man squad. It was get made contact. Well, they make the team manager, which is Joel Frame, which I knew from um, the under-17s, makes contact and said, oh, Andrew's going to give you a call and he uh, wants to speak to you. So, you know, you get that call and you're just like, yeah, right. Like, I've got to make sure I'm set up right, ready for this conversation because you just want to make sure it goes well. And he said he wanted to bring me in for, you know, the 33-man squad. and I was currently, I was kind of going to be in a dilemma, potentially. I was in the semi-finals of the playoffs um, with Preston against Rotherham. No, you, you, ended up, you ended up winning at Wembley, didn't you? It was a year after this. So that oh. year, so that year we actually lost in the semis and missed out in the playoff final. And if we had got to the playoff final, I'm not sure if, you know, if Australia would have gone, yeah, you can come into camp later, play the, you know, the playoff final and then come in and, get your chance. Well, I needed those weeks training because, you know, I needed to prove myself. So, you know, I was, I was like, is this going to be such a hard decision to make? Yeah. Um, not that anyone had said, you're going to have to make this decision. I kind of just knew in the back of my mind it was going to be a decision I had to make. And, you know, we lost in those semifinals and it hurt a lot. It did, killed. But I remember thinking, right, I have to dust myself off, recover and be ready to go again and, and go represent Australia because I was on a flight like the next day. Within two days, Bosch to Australia, ready to, you know, meet everyone for the first time. I was the last person in the camp. Oh. And, uh, this is how mad it was. I'd never been in there. I had no idea what to expect. I've been on a flight for 24 hours, right? Flew business class. I was like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. oh. 
how good's this? Yeah, legs like, out. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to make sure I'm ready to get off this plane. I was drinking water, eating so well. Like, everyone's at the bar drinking. I'm thinking, that'd yeah. make the flight go quicker. I was like, nah, I'm ready because I'm, don't know, I've got to be ready when I get this chance. I think I landed at like 5 a.m. in the morning. Hadn't slept much. I was just anxious as, nervous, you know, just like just sweaty and just a bit uncomfortable. And it was like a full day of like meetings and stretching and all like we had a couple yeah, team meals together. And it's like a the day is so draining because you've just gotten a plane, you're meeting everyone, you want to make a good impression. You're so tired from jet lag. And, and I was just like, whoa, this is tough. I went to bed at like eight, eight well, like seven that night. And I slept right through to like 10 in the morning. Like I was gone. It was so <laughs> draining. But I remember just thinking, it was the next day I woke up and fully appreciated everyone in the, in the room and people I was meeting, like your heroes, people you looked up to. Yeah. And it was just, you kind of pinch yourself sometimes and you, you sit at the table, you're eating meals with people that you've, you've always watched them on TV and like been their biggest supporter. And then you sat there and like having a coffee, having breakfast together, like, you know, a great example of that is Timmy. And it was like, I, I, you know, when you get in the camp, you sit at a table and pretty much that chair's yours for the, for the whole camp. If you sit in this table with five people or six people, you normally always go the same one, right? And they'd been in there for a few days and I had no idea. Gone in, sat down at a table. Like, ah, like, yes, yeah. yes. So Timmy's walked in and he's like, oh, sitting in my chair. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I love it. And, and he was like, Typical Timmy, like great bloke was just like, ah, oh, one of them's obviously stitched you up and you're just like, Jesus, like you feel guilty and you're like, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? So then he obviously just sat down and as he is a humble guy and you sort of like, whoa, I'm in a room full of like, you know, people of, like I just said, people I've supported and, and you start to rub shoulders together and yeah, it's, it's pretty special. When you start training, is the intensity, what's the intensity like compared to your club football? Yeah, it was it was like the way Ange trained and everything was just really high tempo, had high expectations and wanted real high quality. And um, I enjoyed the high tempo because, you know, England's fairly quick tempo and you know, high speed football. But this was the next level. It was another level. Um, one, because you're also really nervous and your mouth's just dry and you're just like, like everyone was just quick and athletic and crisp with their touch but again at the same time a lot of us are in the same boat we want to impress and sometimes it was a bit too quick because you wanted to do too much to impress and you're running yeah like a headless truck sometimes but you know do what it takes to impress but once you get the first couple of sessions out of the way like i said the anxiety releases a little bit you start to relax and get to know everyone and and start to you know build those relationships as a, as a group and it was another level that's for sure it was um you know, I learned a lot from Ange and the people around and a whole new style of playing football. You know, you got to learn what this new manager wants of you, what he wants and expects in such a short space of time. But it builds you, makes you more experienced. And yeah, it's a, it was enjoyable. Like, we've nearly been going an hour. So we'll go a couple more, mate, because I know it's late over there. But I'd love no, to... No worries. Thanks, mate. Um, so you've experienced the high of that, right? And I think you're talking about that qualify against Honduras and I'm pretty sure I went over for that and I was watching it with your family and you've made the World Cup you get into the squad and whatnot I'd love to hear and I know you've been through some injuries like you've battled with your own you know physical battles over the last few years you know the 2018 World Cup a new manager comes in just for the World Cup you know you make the squad to be honest and I haven't told you this but when I found out that you didn't make the final squad I think I nearly cried. I was shattered because, like, I was so adamant, like, you know, oh, it's Bailey. I remember where I was. I remember you messaging me. I was shattered that you didn't make it. And I probably or didn't really know that a lot of it was to do with your body. But can you tell us, I guess, the difference, like the highs you've made the World Cup to now? Like, you're yeah. in your prime in terms of your age. You're that bit older. And now you're not getting picked. Like, you know, what, what, what was that like? That must have been tough. Yeah, it was. And I remember that moment. I guess some people kind of try to protect me a little bit there and sort of said it was my body. I had missed the last few games of Bristol City of the season because I had a little bit of an injury that I was nursing, but I was getting on with it and didn't know about that. Do you know what I mean? Like the, he didn't know. My form dipped for my club. I'm not going to deny that, but I'd been part of the journey to get there. 
Mm. Um, one of the biggest disappointments was I was sat there with my wife in Mykonos, you know, I was doing yoga every day, getting ready to, to go away to the World Cup, just getting a little bit of switch off time at the end of a, you know, a tough season. And I remember thinking the squad's meant to be announced today. And I was like, I've had no, no contact from anyone. I was like, a bit weird. So I was like, I'll give another, give it like a little bit longer in the day. And, you know, you start to get a bit anxious. And I was away with one of my mates, actually. He was away with his, his girlfriend and he plays for Iceland. And we were, we were out and having lunch and we're actually on a boat. And he just got his phone call whilst we're out in a boat. You've been called up to the Ice, Iceland team for the World Cup. And we were like buzzing, popped a bottle of champagne. We're like, yes, Maggie, woo. Yeah. Like, buzzing for him. There's a few of us, Callum O'Dowder as well. And Maggie was going to the World Cup there. And we were like, brilliant. And they were just like, well, when do you find out? And I was like, it's tomorrow. And I was like, I was pretty confident that I'd, I'd at least get in the 30-man squad. So sitting there, making off, nothing comes through. So I'm like, well, I'm getting a bit anxious. I messaged Joel Freem, who's a great bloke. And he's like, he's called me back. And he was like, how are you, mate? And I'm thinking, why has he called me? Like straight away. Um, normally you would have got confirmation through a message or an email first and then spoken to on the phone or the manager calls you direct. And he's like, mate, I just can't believe I've got to be the person that called you to give you this news because it's like it's killed me and shocked me. But I've been given the responsibility of doing it. Like, sorry, but you've not been selected for the squad. And I just went, mm. like, you just like, you feel just the life just gets sucked out of you. And I was like, certain. I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm going to go to this World Cup, but I'm going to make it a good one. Get off the phone, tell my wife, Alex, and she was like, absolutely gutted for me. Like, tears were flooding out, and we were just sat and just like, oh, well, let's just go home. The holiday's crap now. Like, it's ruined. But all that experience, right? It hit me hard. It really did hit me hard. Obviously, learned a lot from it now. But one of the toughest experiences out of that was Bert got that job, right? And still to this day, so all, all the staff that had been there previous before Bert all got in touch with me. Everyone spoke to me. They were like, God of fear. Some great people there. All of them got in touch. Bert and all these coaching staff, not one person to this day ever, ever got in touch with me. Not even a message, phone call, nothing. Like, And I remember thinking, whoa this is like the harsh reality of football and like, you know, fair enough. If you don't make a squad, don't make a squad. But all you just appreciate is to be treated like a human. And I wasn't. Some people did. People that knew me, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you sort of think that's something I'd always say if I was ever a coach or a manager, just treat someone like a human if you're going to do something like that. And it affected me. And then from there, like I could rattle off so many injuries that I had. And they were genuine injuries one after the other, back problems, had a little operation on my knee, tendonitis, quad tears. And then I think back to it, I'm just like, I was working so hard to keep myself fit. And then people always say, sometimes psychologically, you don't realise like what, what you've been through, how difficult it is and how much it might affect you. And sometimes I think back, did those injuries happen because of the impact that had on me? Mm. I, I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. But I wouldn't be surprised if it played a part without me even knowing it or probably would have admitted it. So it took me a while to get my body right after that, which just is part of the game. Like football, part of being an elite sportsman is, you know, your body's going to have injury. It's going to happen. But that affected me and it took me a long time to probably recognise what it felt like to go through, looking back at it. During the time I was like, oh, yeah, just put the, put the face on, get on with it. But it was tough. Because, you know, like I said, you put in so many years of effort, you qualified and then you don't get to go. But all it really reminds you of is, and Andrew used to say, Andrew and Arnie said, like this shirt, you never know when it could be the last time you get to represent your country. So make sure when you do wear it, you give absolutely everything and you're ready for it because it's never yours. You just, you've got it for a short amount of time and someone else will get it next. And that's part of the journey. And that sort of hit home with that again. So I was like, do you know what? You, you've got to put yourself out there to experience these moments, to experience the highs. You've got to go through experiences like that because you've got to put yourself out there. Like say you talk about, you know, vulnerability, you've got to be, be willing to, to take the punches and put yourself out there and, and really learn and, you know, put yourself in an environment where you could lose because it's where you get your maximum growth. And I was in that and I would look back at it. And I'm like, Oh, now I probably think, you know, what? I've got massive, 
respect and pride knowing that I was available for selection for that. And I missed out. Like, you know, tell me as a kid, you're going to be like maybe in the, in the pool of players that could get selected for the 2018 World Cup. I would have taken it all day long. So I take pride in that knowing that I put myself in a position to be let down, which, you know, is good. Don't hide away from it. You know, sometimes you can hide away from disappointments. We don't want to experience them, but put yourself in that position because then you'll grow. And, you know, I feel great now. I've I've got a little injury niggle now at the moment, but that's short term and I'll, I'll be fine. And, you know, all these things have make you stronger, but, you know, the injury side of things and, and setbacks and people, I guess, not selecting you, it's part of it. You know, it's feedback. It's something that, you know, you can do one or two things. You can build yourself and go again, or you can, can let it take its toll on you and, you know, and be the one that wins. But, you know, I wasn't going to have that. I made sure I could rebuild myself and, you know, I got myself back in the national team and, Played a few games with Arnie. Obviously, I've still, you know, big big part of his reign. I've I've had injuries and stuff like that, and you know, there's been you know players ahead of me. There's no doubt about that. I know that some good players there, but you know, I back myself to to keep being part of it, and you know, I've still got big ambitions for what I want to achieve for the Socceroos. Mate, that's amazing. Oh, just to, like, <laughs> I'm like, speechless after yeah. hearing that. But Thanks, Bailey. Yeah. I, I want to know too, just as we sort of start to wrap this up a little bit. You've spent a vast majority of your career as a captain, so you're a leader. Mm. You've also you're also about to become a father. So for our listeners too, obviously not everyone's an elite athlete, not everyone's even into sport, but let's imagine your boy or girl, about five, six, seven years old, what would be your advice, no matter which path they're going down in life, just to the everyday person, what is, what's the best bit of advice you could give through your life lessons? Um back Back yourself, and it's a it's a tricky one to put in a in a small sentence. It's something that that could be quite long because there's so many little things that that take you on the journey. But if anything, I'd say you know with every setback, it's part of your lessons of success. So anytime you experience a setback, just know that that's a goal ticked. You know what I mean? Like it's a step in the right direction because you're learning. But enjoy it because you got to you got to just enjoy what you do and love what you do. If you don't, then it makes it difficult. You know, I'm fortunate enough that obviously I play football and I love football, and it's not forever. And I've got other passions, and it's and it's good to you know put yourself out there. So if I could say to any boy and girl that's um, wanting to make it, you know, in sport, whatever they want to make it in, is commit to it and and back yourself and yeah, just have that motivation to do that bit extra than, than what anyone else does. So if you think someone's got the edge on you, just find ways of getting the edge on them. And whether that be working harder or working smarter, just think of ways to, to make yourself better and, and to get there. Don't think of, right, that's not meant to be. I'll find something else. Like, of course, sometimes that might happen, but sometimes it's, you know, persisting with what you believe in and, and using it to fuel you on, I guess, the competitive side of everything. The competitive side of football is something I've always had from a young age is, you know, anytime anyone said you couldn't do something or you wouldn't be good enough or shut down your dreams, in my little light bulb in my head would just go, why are you listening to them for? You know you can. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, well, I'm going to prove myself right, that I'm right. They're not right. Yeah. So I'm not proving them wrong. I'm proving, you know. I heard this as well the other day. And when it was said, I was like, that's weird. It's like it's, I heard it on a podcast. I can't remember who it was now. And it was like proving yourself right so that your self-belief, yeah, it's not about what others think. It's just that little light bulb in your head says, when you can do something, you can. So Mm -hmm. go and do it and don't let them stop you. So that was, that's a big bit of advice. That's awesome. I reckon we probably nearly wrap it up. We can't talk to you all night. I know. I'm loving this. Um, I feel lost for words, but firstly, mate, thank you. Um, And I would have, we'll do a little intro and I'll probably briefly touch on you know our relationship and connection at the start of the podcast when we upload it but from me to you like and I know myself and my old man like we've loved watching you you know over the years develop and grow and you know it's been really special for me I know to to have someone that is representing the national team yet alone like overseas and yeah the last yeah few years in particular you know you've been awesome for me and can't thank you enough but um what about social media and stuff? Where can some of our listeners come and find you? What's your Instagram, mate? I don't even know. <laughs> um, 
I like LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Oh, I do have it, but I haven't used it in a long time. Game changer. Start using it. All right. Yep. Um, but social media, I'm on Twitter as Bailey Wright, and I think I'm on Instagram as Bailey Wright. Um, might be some numbers in there. Bailey Wright um, six. I've got. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, that sounds about right. And Twitter, I don't know where it is. I don't. Even, I don't know what. Oh, I'm I know you like Twitter. I'm always seeing you retweeting stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's um. Yeah, they're my social media platform. If there's anything you guys want to talk about further, then you know I'm always here. Thanks, mate. Um, appreciate we appreciate that. We thank always you. happy to share stories with some good blokes like yourself, and I know your old man would be bloody proud of you, mate. So it's, thanks, it's Important that you know that you can see see him in you, the positivity and the energy and the life in him. Do you know what I mean? Like that was Big yeah. Dicky. That's that's you, mate. And you know he'd be he'd be buzzing. Thanks, Bailey. All right, mate. Mate, we, we really just want to yeah, thank you again because, I mean, it's not we're not talking to a retired athlete. We're talking to an athlete in their prime at past 10 o'clock now in England. Yeah. So, mate, thank you so much. We're so appreciative of your time and, and how much you've opened up to us. Yeah, I, I'm blown away. So, yeah, just thank you so much is all I can say. Thanks, mate. No, I appreciate it, guys. Let us know um, when you want it out there and, yeah, I'll, I'll share it about because I'll enjoy I enjoy listening to the others. So... Thanks, mate. Worked. All right, mate. Thanks, Bailey. I'm off to bed. See you guys. See you, mate. See you, mate.